with great sadness that I think we end this retreat, especially for me, because I have to admit, this is the first time I've ever felt a part of like a full house. It's not just because a bunch of women are around, you guys are always around, but it's because of the presence of the sisters. You know, like I said at the beginning, a priest as a man can only offer so much to his daughters. You need a mother to raise daughters properly. And the sisters really have embodied just the heart of the church um, and the love of the Father in such a beautiful way for us. And I want to offer this Mass for Sister Mary Claire, Sister Teresa Margaret, and thanksgiving for your presence here. And as I talk about um, this final meditation on femininity and what it means to be woman in the eyes of the church and in the eyes of the world. And to me, I might be biased because I'm a priest, but holy, devout nuns are the apex of the beauty of creation because they, more than anybody else, reflect the image of the Blessed Virgin Mother who is virgin and fruitful. And there's no two things that are more on, in attack in our culture today than virginity and fruitfulness of the woman. The final meditations that St. Ignatius of Loyola gives in his retreats are the two standards. And he imagines on one side, you have to see Christ under his banner and his army. And then you have to see Satan with all those of this world fighting under his banner. And the final decision is to see which characteristics go with who. And then each and every one of us have to make the decision on which side we will stand. I tried to have that in my mind as a meditation, but all I could see is the Blessed Virgin on one side and Madonna on the other. So to help you to get a little more image of the world's idea of femininity versus God's intention of that. And our readings today, I think, really touch into this because God says, you must be perfect. Christ says, you must be perfect as a heavenly father is perfect. In the first reading, Moses said, to be perfect like God, you must be holy. To be holy means set apart. To be holy means different. So in order to be holy in this world, you have to be willing to be set apart from the standards of this world. That's the fundamental decision we come to at the end of this retreat on how will you be different from what the world tells you to be in being obedient to the voice of Christ speaking in every one of your hearts. And to do that, there's one fundamental decision you have to make. Some of you have already made it. Become a fool. A fool for Christ, as St. Paul has said. You have to be willing to be called a fool to follow Jesus Christ in this world. One of my favorite lines from Father Hardin, um, one of my favorite priests, uh, he said, he was talking to a bunch of missionaries of charity. He said, sisters, you are wearing your habits in a time when so many nuns have thrown them off. Do you know that you look like fools to them? And I know, I guarantee you, the sisters have been had their fair share of criticism for being too traditional or being so humble in their vocations. The same happens with priests who choose to wear their collar and choose to try to be faithful to their calling. You were be called a fool by those who do not want to live according to that standard. And when we follow Jesus Christ, like St. Paul, we have to be willing to step into that, to be set apart, to be holy, and to be foolish. 
And I was praying for you last night in adoration, and I kept just asking the Father, what do you want me to tell them? Like, what does it mean to be perfect? What does it mean to be perfect? And the only words I kept hearing was, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And that's where the whole meditation that I want to lead us through today came from. Because something I just found so interesting is the fact that there are two curses, some called medicinal remedies after the fall, right? that man was cursed to work. Right? By the sweat of your brow, you shall bring up your fruit from this earth. And the biggest thing that's under attack for men is the inspiration to go out and make something of themselves so they become worthy of a woman's love and to raise a family as a protector and a provider and a leader. Men are very much on, under attack on that in our times. They're being taught to be just passive and step aside. On the other hand, what was the woman's curse? The pain of child-rearing. It says, by pain and suffering, you will bring forth new life, but you must bring forth new life. And there is nothing that is more under attack for women in our age today than to be fruitful and to multiply. Virginity and fruitfulness. And I know that what I'm talking about is much our culture. I'm going to say the same thing to the guys. You guys already know a lot of this, what I'm going to say, and you're already living it. That's why it's very easy for me to speak this here. It'd be very different if I was just in some random parish at this present moment. But you all have very good hearts. I know you personally. You're striving for this. So what I want to really do here is lay out what are the two standards of the world that you are going to be facing and the temptations you will face and have faced in this world. So it becomes very clear to you. One thing I've been considering, because I don't know if I've felt more like a father before my priesthood as, as this retreat, and maybe the presence of the nuns have helped that, but maybe I'm just growing into the fatherhood. Um, but my deepest desire for every single one of you is motherhood. That's what I realized. My idea of a successful priesthood is that every single one of you will become a mother. Get married, have your children, enter the convent, and become a spiritual mother of souls. That's the success of a father. The last thing I want for any woman that I love is that you remain single and alone. And that's why we have to talk about difficult things because that is what the culture is promoting for women today. To be single and alone in the facade of happiness, which is never true. Because right? the devil, remember, he's a murderer and a liar from the beginning. He lies in order to kill. And when we follow the temptations of the evil one, it sounds glamorous at the beginning, but it always leads to death. And often when we follow Jesus Christ, it feels like a suffering. It feels like a taking up of the cross. But it's a cross that always gives life. The greatest joy that we can ever have in this world is to follow Jesus Christ to follow his teachings. There's nothing that will ever make us happier in this life and eternal life than that. But it begins with a, a movement of suffering often, of going against our egotistical inclinations. It happens with every single religious and priest. Going into the priesthood is very difficult, but it becomes the greatest and most fruitful blessing. 
as we look at these two standards, I want to actually read from you because I thought, you know, no one wants to sit here and listen to me as a 35-year-old celibate priest talk about what a woman should be. So I wanted to actually take from another woman her own words. Um, this is from Carrie Gress. She wrote the book, The uh, Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity. How many of you have read that before? A couple? Now, this is a great article. I, I suggest that everybody take a look at this uh, this week if you can. It's called The Subtle Lie. Women must be powerful, but not fruitful. The subtle lie. The snake is the subtle deceiver. Women must be powerful, but not fruitful. Subtitles. Satan knows just as he did when he targeted Eve, that if he gets the woman, he gets everyone. If he gets the woman, he gets everyone. I just want to read some excerpts from this article, and then hopefully you can take a deeper look at it uh, in the future. And what Carrie says, she says, the idea for my book, The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity, first started when I looked at the elite women of our culture and I began to compare them to the Blessed Mother. And that's where the stark difference took place. She said, more than anything, these women who've been in charge of this whole second wave of uh, feminism in the 20th century, convinced generations of women, millions and millions of women, that the most precious and natural bond on earth, that of a mother and a child, was no longer important and in fact was actually an impediment to a woman's happiness. She says, how is it that this lie could spread so quickly and so resoundingly all over the West. This category change was to make women think about their lives in terms of power. And that's where it comes from. Your life is not about fruitfulness. Your life is about being powerful. Radical feminism convinced women that their happiness, their goal in life was to be powerful. The new goal was to be able to control our lives, our men, our careers, and our fertility to liberate us to do whatever we want and to have it all. We have grown used to phrases like girl power, strong is the new pretty, be fierce and empowerment. I haven't heard any of those, but maybe that's <laughs> slogans you guys follow. I don't know. Um, she goes, the overriding message sent to women is that we must be tough and powerful. And this is new, that a woman was as, quote, tough as a whore, was never meant to be a compliment, as it denoted a woman who had been hardened by the world, broken by it, so that she developed a thick skin to hide her vulnerabilities, while simultaneously using her sexuality to control others. We applaud them for their toughness, while neglecting the sad things that made them tough. We look at the exterior trappings while ignoring the interior wounds. And that's why Sister uh, Teresa Margaret's meditation last night was very beautiful about going into the wounds, exposing our hearts as vulnerable as Christ himself is exposed in the Blessed Sacrament to receive that healing. Because oftentimes the devil will speak through our wounds. If a woman has ever experienced the power of a man as tyrannical or abusive or neglectful, 
That's where the devil will speak into her saying, you can't trust men and you have to become independent and strong and powerful so that you're never hurt again. And all it does is what it did to the Pharisees. We become empty graves, right? Strong on the outside, but dead bones on the inside. The devil always speaks for us through wounds to harden our hearts. What was targeted by feminism was something unique. It was the fruitfulness of womanhood, both in virginity and motherhood. Satan knows, just as he did when he targeted Eve, that if he gets the woman, he gets everyone. And if he can destroy woman's source of fruitfulness, then he can succeed because our greatest gift isn't power, it's in being fruitful. Tossed aside was the idea of the family and the work necessary to cultivate and nurture souls in society. Women quickly forgot the very essential role they have in forming children into healthy and mature adults, the very building blocks of any healthy civilization. And what she's tapping into is that there's no greater influence on any man in this world than his wife and his mother. So you can do all the things outside that men do to try to make the world more progressed and to get more finances, but no woman will ever have more power to shift the the future of the world than through her influence over her husband and her children. And that's what the world blinds us from. So now she speaks about fruitfulness and spiritual motherhood. She says, one of the richest sources of research my book was for my book was Eric von Neumann, seemingly exhausted work called The Great Mother. It's a beautiful uh, work that I've never read, but it sounds great. Uh, and what it says, though, is it drawn from the millennia of mythology about women. Von Neumann describes a common characteristic of women across time, across cultures since the beginning, that women have been understood as vessels as ships, soil, ovens, even the ocean. And the church expresses this pattern when the church is always feminine, always a she, and she's known as a ship, a nave, but a feminine form. Women's soul are meant to hold and transform those whom we love, she says. As Edith Stein wrote, the woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold. Our Lady clearly fits this model of being a container, as she is called the soil by St. Irenaeus. And in the litany that we pray together every time we do the litany of Loretto, we call her the spiritual vessel, a vessel of honor, a singular vessel of devotion, house of gold, the ark of the covenant, refuge of sinners, and seat of wisdom. And when I read that, I immediately thought of something, heroin. Right? Uh, no? They make you think? All right. So they did studies on people who take heroin. I thought this was so fascinating. I didn't think about this when I was taking it myself, but it made sense after, after the fact. No. Um, but uh, they did studies on babies' brains and on people who do heroin, and they found the same neurological response happens when a baby is being cuddle, cuddled by its mother than when someone is on heroin. The fun and what, what addicts have said is the, the principal 
sensation that they experience when they're on drugs like that is the, the sense of being held. You see how important motherhood is? And that's why without, you know, without mothers in the church, without mothers at home, oftentimes men fall, we fall to drugs, but we also fall to tyrannical behavior. It's all about doing because we don't know what it is to be held and loved, which is the, the building blocks of everything that we become in life. So like that, that is power. And that is what every one of us is searching so, so deeply for in this world of being held and loved. In Western culture today, we have mistaken notion that women can be mothers or not. But motherhood isn't, that motherhood isn't an essential part of our being, but is merely accidental. But we can never simply step out of it and deny it. Even then, the infertile or postmenopausal women still has a body that says, you are made to be a mother. The way her arms fold, her hips, breasts, and so on express the concept of holding and nourishing. What von Neumann also makes clear is that because we cannot step out of maternity, women can be defined by the way that we act as mothers. There are basically two ways in which a mother can be a bad mother, and she can either neglect her children or she can hold them too tight. So to deny the caress at all, but then uh, the smothering mother, as they said, she even plays, does a word play. She goes, it's kind of interesting that smothering actually has the word mothering right there in it, but uh, it's always a danger that the mother's heart does not love for one reason or another, or that she loves and holds too tight. And then I want to end with the last part is on a spiritual reflection on spiritual motherhood, because she speaks about Mother Teresa in this. I think it's very beautiful. Our fruitfulness isn't just contained in our physical bodies, but mimics what happens to women on a spiritual level. The physical act of having a biological child is similar to the spiritual fruitfulness we witness in the lives of the saints and holy women, particularly cloistered religious. In these cases, a tiny seed is planted. Initially, the woman is the only one aware of the new life within her. Time, great care, love, and sacrifice eventually bring a child to life, a child who will eventually have a life of his own, no longer needing the mother for his own life to continue. We understand this clearly with biological children, but it's more hidden in the spiritual life. It can be witnessed in the lives of St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Faustina, St. Teresa of Calcutta, but a, a seed planted in Ireland to move to India to serve the poorest of the poor. Today we know this little seed has grown into something far beyond her imagining and lives on without her. She worked herself out of a job. So woman understood as soil, seed, and surrender. At its core, fruitfulness requires receptivity. It cannot be done alone. Without actively receiving the seed, there be, will be no fruit. Fruitfulness requires a kind of surrender and trust that must exist between the soil and the seed sower, be it a husband physically or the trinity spiritually. Women are the soil into which the seed of life 
but also spiritual seeds are planted. Contraception and abortion are the direct means Satan uses to destroy a woman's fruitfulness. And without fruitfulness, we cannot understand our bodies, our souls, our mission, or our relationships. Gertrude Van Lefort made it clear in her writings that the problem with women isn't that they are weak, it is that we are powerful. We are living in a time unlike any other when we can see the chaotic power of women on display, like the violent destruction of a tempest or the hidden power of a deadly riptide. Women are powerful. The key for us is to surrender what can be destructive power and live in the will of God. And the solution for that is already with us. It is a return to the woman, the star of the sea, whom St. Bernard promises, promises will never abandon us, but will ever guide us safely to shore. Our Lady, no matter how out of vogue she may be today, in light of the context of fruitfulness, remains the perfect model of femininity and fruitfulness. And now, as we go to the Eucharistic sacrifice, we remember that it's Christ himself who is the bridegroom of the church, who continues to give his seed, his very self, on this altar that is always seen as the womb of the church, the bride who is receptive, and only by her and through her he brings forth the fruit of new life. May you all take very much to your heart the two standards that the world offers you. And before Christ our Lord, make the commitment of your heart on which side you will follow, which voice you will listen to, and the femininity that you want to reflect in this world.